Welcome to In the Studio with Michael Card. What you are about to hear was recorded several years ago at the Mole Inn Studio. Though some of the details about guests and ministries may have changed over the years, the powerful lessons from the music and conversations are as true as when we first heard them. You can stay current with Michael's music and teaching ministry via Facebook or Twitter when you search for Michael Card. Now, join us for this classic edition in the studio. This is In the Studio with Michael Card. I'm Wayne Shepard. We're coming to you from beautiful and historic Franklin, Tennessee. <laughs> I picked that up from a brochure I picked up yeah. today at the hotel, Michael. That's on the sign as you drive into Franklin. Oh, is very, it? Oh, yeah, very yeah. good. I very knew good. it came from somewhere else. Yeah. I saw it on the brochure, beautiful and historic Franklin, Tennessee. It is a great place. Yeah, so. 1799. Yeah. Really? Yeah, that's Franklin. Well, how was it in those days, Michael? Well, you know, that we had just moved there then and... And uh, Jefferson was president. And <laughs> Somehow we got off track already in the first minute uh, of our program here yeah. today. But we're going to have a great time today talking with some good friends. George Guthrie is back with us. Dr. Yes. George Guthrie from Union University is in the studio with us actually today. And we're going to look at the book of James with him. And that'll good. be wonderful. He's just finished a commentary on James. So he will oh, be able to answer all fresh. our questions. He is ready for, yeah. for us here today. Also in the studio will be Don Wurtson. Mm. Now, Don is someone that uh, we've appreciated his music for years and years and years, and it'll be interesting to find out the connection between you and Don. Yeah, we're old friends. Okay, we'll have uh, that conversation coming up. And then a friend, mutual friend by the name of Gary Witherall is going to be in the studio here today. Gary is going to update us as to where he is now. He was... uh, he was a brother who had lost his wife on the mission yeah. field uh, some time ago, and now uh, he's speaking and, and in the midst of writing a book about that experience. Yeah. His so wife he'll be was with murdered on the mission field. Yeah. It's, a, it's a heart-wrenching story. You'll talk to Gary later in the broadcast. As a matter of fact, you will talk to Gary. I won't, I won't uh, be able to do that. That's right. Uh, we, we interviewed him uh, when you were still on your way down here. So uh, <laughs> I missed that one. It was my first solo interview, and yeah. it, it, it didn't go well without you being no, there. Well, you I were missed. That at oh, all. you were missed. And the proof will be heard later in the broadcast mm-hmm. here today. But let's get started. We'll open the word in just a moment with George. But let's start with a song of yours called Know You in the Now. We're going to be looking at James later, but this is a song that really reflects Paul's idea of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, the present reality of Jesus. Michael at the piano. Percussion is provided here in the studio by Ken Lewis. Know you in the now. But I don't know how 
Michael, thank you for getting us started here in the studio today. Dr. George Guthrie is Perry Professor of Bible at Union University. He's chairman of the Department of Christian Studies there and the author of a Hebrews commentary published by Zondervan and a brand new commentary, as you said, on James, also by Zondervan, George? That's right. It's going to be in the remake of the Expositor's Bible Commentary. Okay, so I urge our listeners to look at those commentaries and know that you met George here on the radio in the studio with Michael Card. Welcome back, George. Well, it's always good to be with you guys and especially to get into the Word together. Mm -hmm. Which we want to do now. We'd like to give our listeners, uh, we'd like to equip them uh, to, after the program, to, to then go and read through the book of James uh, on their own. So, I mean, how would you go about doing that, George? What do we need to know before we really interact with the book of James? Well, well, <laughs> um, I think James is one of those books that has been a favorite with a lot of people mm-hmm. in the church because it is so practical. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you get to chapter 3, for instance, and you start reading about the need to uh, keep your mouth shut uh, <laughs> and keep your attitude straight and that type of thing, uh, it's not real hard to identify with that. I mean, we we know that uh, we, we all struggle with those kinds of issues, and so... Mm-hmm. Uh, James is the kind of book that will lead you along if you if you have a, an open heart. Well, James is a person, you and I have discussed this a lot. You've defended James to me uh, for a, year, a number of years now because James is a person that I've had problems with just in terms of uh, – you know, his disbelief, along with his brothers of Jesus, and they're, they're taunting him there at the end of John. Um, and the, the tone of the book has bothered me, too. When I read James with First Peter, James seems to be calling people names and fairly, in a fairly bad mood when he wrote the book. And you, you have defended him uh, quite admirably. All right, we're getting right down to it here now. This is <laughs> no, a point-counterpoint th- here no, in the studio today. Well, this is, no, this is, this is uh, something that George has helped me with, frankly, because I, I was very anti-James and saw him as a person who was really a Judaizer in, in Acts and took over the church after Peter left. And uh, George has helped me to, to, to understand that James is a person who's trying to keep the wheels on, right? Yeah. Michael, you really love James. You, you just, <laughs> just don't, don't know. know it yet. That's right. <laughs> uh, but, but I mean that. James yeah. uh, is a wonderful person uh, from uh, the early church who, who really has been in the shadow in some ways mm-hmm. of Peter and Paul. Uh, there have been a number of, of works done in recent years uh, focusing on him and the whole issue with the James ossuary that was uh, found. Now, let's explain who James is. Okay. James uh, was the half-brother of Jesus, uh, the oldest of the brothers. Um, people disagree on this, but uh, it, it's quite probable from my perspective that James did not believe in Christ prior to the resurrection. Yeah. Um, and then after the resurrection, uh, Paul tells us, for instance, in 1 Corinthians 15, that, that Jesus appeared to James. And James very steadily comes to a very prominent place mm-hmm. in the early church. Uh, he, he really becomes kind of the main guy uh, in Jerusalem. Right. And, and if, you, if you read carefully, you find that he had a, had a very good and rich relationship with Peter and Paul. Mm-hmm. Isn't it a strength, though, that the, the, the books that we have of the Bible come from these different personality perspectives? I mean, Michael's expressed how he feels about James and brought these questions to bear here. Well, a- absolutely. And, and I think the key to interpreting these individuals and the book uh, the key is to ask, uh, what was their context? Mm-hmm. 
what 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 was James really dealing with? Where was he living? Yeah, uh, th- those are really kind of the, the crucial issues. Yeah, I don't think we understand to how thoroughly Christianity was uh, embedded in Judaism. I mean, when, at, at mm-hmm. a time when James was giving leadership, it's basically. Phariseeism, Sadduceeism, and the followers of Jesus, right? I mean, um, and it was a it was a struggle for them to even comprehend Christianity outside of Judaism. That's the struggle that Peter and Paul get caught up in, right? Well, and, and understand that that the early Christian movement is a Jewish movement. Yeah, uh, it's not something else. It is Jewish. They they saw themselves as uh, being thoroughly fulfilled in in the Jewish sense because mm-hmm. the Messiah had come, which they and, were, and they uh, mm-hmm. believed in the Messiah. So what that brings up is it brings this amazing moment in the life of the church, in which God backs them in the corner to say, "I have brought new covenant. I have brought salvation for the Gentiles." Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at Acts chapter ten, for instance. Uh, all the things that happen there of a supernatural nature, the vision that Peter receives, uh, the angelic vision that Cornelius receives, uh, the spirit speaking to Peter, telling him to go with the guys who come to get him. And even when Peter goes and preaches to Cornelius's household, the spirit falls on them before he even gives the invitation. Yeah, you know, So right. it's, it's like God is saying, you can't miss this. I am accepting the Gentiles. Yeah. And Peter's uh, uh, posture it, when he walks in Cornelius's house is, you know, I'm not supposed to be here. That's right. I mean, there's still this sort of frightened, uh, this is, I'm breaking the rules here. This isn't something I should do, but right. it's something that God had called him to do. That's right. And as you roll the tape forward to the Jerusalem Council that we have in Acts 15, mm-hmm. it's just, I think, the most amazing moment in the life of the early church. Mm-hmm. Because uh, here you had this, this uh, clash, in a way, of the way uh, Jewish life had always been done mm-hmm. in, in one sense, you know, in one expression of it, especially um, that, you know, we live according to the scriptures, we have the traditions and, and these types of things. Uh, and, and how do the Gentiles fit into that? Do they have to be good Jews in order to be Christians? Mm-hmm. And so this, this is an amazing moment. So James is teaching us to how practically to live out Christian faith, right? Well, let me tell you where James fits, I think, uh, and, and how I would date the book of James. Um, I think James is, uh, he's become the prominent leader of the Jerusalem church mm-hmm. uh, by, the, by the late 40s. Yeah, persecution has basically driven Peter away from Jerusalem, right? Yeah. Um, and again, you know, there are different ideas about how, how all that, that works. Uh-huh. But James is the guy who stays home and he is he is undoubtedly the prominent leader of the Jerusalem church by that point. Mm-hmm. And so um, James is dealing with a lot of different dynamics. He's right there in Jerusalem, which was the focal place for Judaism. The temple is right there. Mm-hmm. And so as people are beginning to stream into the church, as Jews are streaming into the church there, James has the task, uh, along with the elders in Jerusalem uh, and the apostles, how do we lead forward uh, to, to stay tied to the scriptures, grounded in the scriptures? How, how are we faithful mm-hmm. to the traditions that God has given us? But at the same time, how do we open up? to what the Spirit is doing Mm -hmm. in terms of the broader picture of things. Now, I think the book of James comes in. I I think it's very possible that the book of James was written in the late 40s, which would would make it the earliest book we have in the New Testament. 
prior to the this detailed discussion about how the Gentiles fit in at the Jerusalem Council. And uh, so James is still v- living very much on the level of uh, how, how can we be faithful hmm. to the Scriptures? I think the question of Paul's theology is starting to crop up out there, and people are having questions about it. We but see this that is reflected. 15 or 20 years before Paul's writings, generally, right? No. Perhaps? No. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no. Okay. Uh, Paul, uh, I think, begins with the book of Galatians as early as AD 49. Oh, okay. All right. And uh, then you have First and Second Thessalonians, you know, in the early uh, 50s, and then you go on from there. Okay. So, um, so these know, issues are on the table, so to speak. Yeah. The, the issues are really starting to get out there. Uh, they're on the table. But... But you really do have to, to get down into James's world and what he is trying to address. Mm-hmm. And, and Michael, this is what I think you're going to resonate with. <laughs> okay. So, so help me with that. I mean, what he, he is uh, clearly the leader of the Jerusalem church. Um, as you said, uh, different issues are beginning to show their heads, like uh, the universality of the church, the fact that the church is going to, to reach out, which was hinted at in Jesus' time, right? Jesus declares all food all foods clean in Mark. Right. Jesus reaches out to Gentiles more than once in his ministry. Yeah. Now, actually, the book of James is not addressing those specific issues. Uh-huh. That's more of the backdrop context right. of, but that's of what's the, going on. That's the struggle that's sort of coming up, is what are we going to do with the Gentiles, right? That's, that's right. But as far as the book of James is concerned, uh-huh. what James is, is interested in is... Um, he, he is interested in, as people have spread out from Jerusalem, this would be one way of understanding the backdrop of the book, mm-hmm. as people have, have gone out in this uh, diaspora mm-hmm. that he mentions there at the beginning, um, they are probably believers who are struggling economically, for instance. Mm-hmm. Remember, you have a famine around uh, this right, time. That Paul was taking a question uh, for. They're going out from a church that is impoverished. All right. Mm-hmm. And so they are probably in an economic situation there in the Eastern Mediterranean world, which was brutal hmm. to people in that kind of situation. And you have this thread all through the book. How, how do the poor and the rich relate? Oh, yeah. How do you keep your attitude straight about the rich? How should the rich respond and uh, those who are... Uh, aggressively uh, destroying those who are who are poor. Mm-hmm. How should they be fearful of the judgment of God? Now, would some of the followers of Jesus have had for? Would they have forfeited their fortunes? I mean, would they have given up if they were Jewish believers and then became Christians? Would that mean that some of them would lose their income or lose yeah, their livelihood? I think that's that's one uh, thing that happened with people. Uh, if you uh, for instance, were in a family that had a prominent business, and your family cut you off because you became a follower of Jesus, mm-hmm. that would have serious economic, you know, implications. Right. Which for they you. would have to have done, right? You are banned if you're a follower of Jesus. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Now, again, we have interesting <laughs> hints even in Jerusalem. James seems to uh, have been respected. Yeah. James by the some just. Jews there in in the city of Jerusalem, yeah. and. Uh, so some of these dynamics are a little bit murky, and you can't, you know, just make it make it cut and dry. Yeah, I've heard that the the the, the Jews of Jerusalem, uh, after the, the destruction of Jerusalem in seventy, a lot of them said the reason Jerusalem was destroyed was that James had been killed shortly before, and he was no longer praying for Jerusalem. He mm. was James the Just with knees like a camel who, right. mm. you know, prayed all the time. Mm. Mm. So he was he was a, well that's an, that was initially one of my problems with James. He is a respected member of the Jerusalem community. Correct or 
Yeah. I, or is that just a hint that we have to sift through? I and, think it's a hint, and yeah. it's pro- it was probably a very mixed bag uh-huh. because he, he also um, garnered enough opposition that he was martyred, martyred yeah. you know, there in the early 60s. By the high priest or by a yeah, servant of the high a, priest? Yeah, a new kind of upstart uh, high priest uh, came on the scene and— um, and took the opportunity in a political situation to to do away with him. Mm. This is just fascinating. I, I love to, to get this background uh, to a book that we felt like we were so familiar with, and I hope our listeners will go read it again after our conversation today. But in our discussions before coming to the studio today, George, um, you were, have been trying to explain to me and, and to Michael, I'm sure Michael gets it and I don't, mm. uh, about the title Leviticus. Now, this is something I've never heard before, and I'd, I'd like for you to explain that, and let's let's spend some time looking at that. and. Actually, looking at the scripture, if we can, together. Sure. Um, in just a minute, Michael, you might want to read Leviticus 19, okay. verses 9 through 18. Okay. That's the third book of the Bible, Michael. I've got it back here. <laughs> <laughs> How long since we've read Leviticus, huh? Yeah. Um, and, and just to kind of lead into this, let me say that uh, James is interested in this book um, in where... The rubber meets the road, if you will, in living out the Word of God, practically speaking, in relationships. Mm-hmm. And so he is writing a letter that I think is meant to circulate among uh, a number of churches. Uh, it addresses uh, a number of different issues, but I think kind of uh, the issue that they, uh, all those other issues revolve around is what does it mean to live out God's righteous wisdom? Mm-hmm. What does it mean to, to be a person who is living out the truth of God in a dynamic way. And that's what I think the connection with you is, Michael. So you talked about the fact that it addresses rich and poor. Uh, it addresses themes like prejudice. Right. In, in that's James. right. I mean, these are it all the, sort of the practical outworkings yeah. of, how, okay, how do, you, how do you live by this new That's right. Yeah. That's right. How do you use the tongue? Uh, hmm. How do you deal with people who come into the church who aren't from your socioeconomic um strata. Mm-hmm. Um, and in all this, he really reflects a lot of Jesus' teaching, too. He does. I yeah. think two of the two of the dominant influences on James are Leviticus 19, the passage we're going to read, and mm-hmm. then also the teachings of Jesus. Uh, Luke Timothy Johnson has a wonderful commentary on uh, the book of James, and he's done a lot with this backdrop of Leviticus 19. Mm-hmm. So, Michael, why don't you read that passage, uh, Leviticus 19, verses 9 through 18, and just as we as we read through this, listen for the echoes of this in James as it brings to mind different parts of James. And you'll be reading from the uh, NLT, the New Living Translation, yeah. right? When you harvest your crops, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields, and do not pick up what the harvesters drop. It's the same with your grape crop. Do not strip every last bunch of grape from the vines, and do not pick up the grapes that fall to the ground. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners who live among you, for I, the Lord, am your God. Do not steal, do not cheat one another, do not lie. Do not use my name to swear a falsehood and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. Do not cheat or rob anyone. Always pay your hired workers promptly. Show your fear of God by treating the deaf with respect and by not taking advantage of the blind. I am the Lord. Always judge your neighbors fairly, neither favoring the poor nor showing deference to the rich. Do not spread slanderous gossip among your people. Do not try to get ahead at the cost of your neighbor's life, for I am the Lord. Do not nurse hatred in your heart for any of your relatives. Confront your neighbors directly so you will not be held guilty for their crimes. 
Never seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. The, the rationale is always because I'm the Lord. That's wow. right. That's right. That's some authority. <laughs> yeah, and you hear echoes there of uh, not showing favoritism yeah. uh, to the rich, uh, being sure that you're up to date on paying the laborers yeah. like you have in James 5, 1 through 6, uh, not swearing uh, in the wrong way, uh, not using your tongue in the wrong way and lying. And, uh, and it ends on... Um, a very important passage for James, and that in verse 18, where he says, uh, "You should love your neighbor as yourself," which James quotes in James chapter two, verse eight. Mm-hmm. And I think that's right prior to the launching of the whole center section of the book. I think it's a very important point in the structure of James. Mm-hmm. So what do I need to know? Tonight I'm going to go home and I'm going to read, just in one setting, I'm going to read through the book of James. What are the, th- the major themes that I need to be looking for? What are the questions that you would have me ask as I read through that book? Well, let me, let me give a framework first. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it really revolves around a passage with which people are very familiar, and that is the faith and works kind of passage. Mm-hmm. And we can talk a little bit about how this relates to Paul if you want to. But it's a very, very important point for James. At the end of chapter 1 is uh, that wonderful passage where he talks about uh, being a doer of the word. Mm-hmm. And a person who hears the word but doesn't do it is like a, a man who looks in a mirror forgets. and uh, he, he walks away and forgets what he looked like. Yeah. And that's such a graphic image. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the implication of the passage there is you know, the guy has, you know, somewhat of a, maybe a plain face. He looks at his birth face mm-hmm. in the mirror and then walks away and perhaps has a much higher estimation of himself oh. than he should have. Oh. You know, he's not, uh, he's not there. Uh, he does not have a grasp on reality mm. because mm. he's walked away from the thing that, that can give him perspective on the real situation. Yeah. And so James says, that to be a doer of the word is to be a person who lives in the word with the word right there in front of you. Mm-hmm. And then it is not just kind of uh, doing cognitive exercises, but is really working to apply it yeah. in the life and to, to allow the word to transform the life. And that's what James is really about. And, and he would say you haven't understood the word if it doesn't come out in terms of the way you act and live. You've not you've absolutely not the point. Yeah. That is absolutely that, that yeah. you you can't say we uh, we believe the, the word of God unless you're living it. Yeah. You can't say that we kind of have a, a cognitive, a mental grasp on it. You get over into chapter 2 with the whole faith and works uh, passage, and that's really his point. He says, you know, you say you believe in God. Congratulations. So do the demons. <laughs> demons. Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, big deal. Uh, but he, he, um, he, he goes on to say that if you have real faith, then that is going to manifest itself mm. in, in your life, in a transformation of your life. Which, right. which I would dare to say is uh, something that he learned from the life of his half-brother. I mean, I, I, I can see two and two coming together in his mind and saying, yeah, but I, I saw Jesus do this, but I saw Jesus. Well, and that's, that's the other prominent influence yeah. in James, as uh, scholars have shown that there are peppered throughout the book all of these uh, echoes of the teaching of Jesus, yeah. uh, the Beatitudes, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, blessed are the poor, blessed are the merciful, uh, blessed are the pure of heart, blessed are the peacemakers. Mm-hmm. Uh, James uses those uh, 
those terms, yeah. uh, you know, scattered throughout this book. So and so the categories of Jesus have become his category. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. You gave me permission a moment ago, George. So let me ask this about contrasting uh, the faith and works that James is talking about here and Paul's writing about this. Yeah. J- James has always, um, uh, in some ways, been kind of a foil to, you know, the teachings of, of Paul. Mm-hmm. I mean, for instance, Martin Luther um said that James was just a, a book of straw because yeah. you don't have anything of the gospel in it, you know, and, and he was he was working out of his own life situation. But we have to remember that that Paul uh, was dealing with one problem group. I think James is dealing with a very different yeah. problem group. Paul is dealing with a, a group who are off track because they were saying, uh, here's how you experience the salvation of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is by believing in Jesus and yeah. doing these uh, types of uh, Jewish, you know, rituals and things like that. And there's a huge discussion in New Testament studies about all this. Um, but what James is interested in is is that group of people who who would say, "I am a believer in Jesus." But then it never it. it never manifests yeah. itself in, yeah. in their life. Mm-hmm. He's not he's not uh, proclaiming a works oriented salvation. He's proclaiming a salvation that issues forth in works. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and it has to be that way. Mm-hmm. It has to be lived out. It has to be incarnate in our lives the way it was incarnate in the life of Jesus. I think once again, I think James understands from the life of Jesus that what we say has to come to life. Mm-hmm. I wish we could go on. Every time George is here, I say this, but I wish we could go another hour or so. (laughs) (laughs) This is so helpful. But even with this understanding, George, and and the commitment, Michael said, you're going to read through James. I'm going to do that tonight as well. And listeners hopefully will pick up on that. But let's pray. Let's pray that God's word will penetrate our hearts then as we read it together uh, and that it will make a difference in our living out. And George, I'll ask you Mm -hmm. if you wouldn't mind just leading in prayer for a moment here as we close today. Father, we thank you so much for every portion of your word, that it shines light on various aspects of life. It calls us and challenges us to deeper commitment and to radical Christianity. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lord, we uh, thank you for the book of James. I thank you for the life of James. Uh, Lord, we praise you for a book that challenges us in in the midst of a culture that that at times is shallow and uh, empty. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it calls us to a radical Christian life that seeks to apply the Word in practical ways every day. And Lord, we pray that you would teach us to be people who do the Word in our relationships that we would be people who seek justice in our places of work, that we would be people who control the tongue uh, in our churches. God, I pray that you would help us to live out what James would describe as righteous wisdom in such a way that not only our lives are transformed, but everyone around us is transformed. God, please change us through your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, George. We need to stop right here as we get ready for the second half of In the Studio with Michael Card. If you're near a computer, take a moment and send us your thoughts about the program, as well as any questions you have about the Bible or living the Christian life. Our email address is in the studio at michaelcard.com. And if you're new to this broadcast, consider this your invitation to stop by our website and learn more about Michael's music and teaching ministry. 
And then if you'd like to hear this complete program again, come to the audio archives on our radio page at michaelcard.com. Well, there's more great conversation coming up here on the Moody Broadcasting Network. Don't miss a new session of In the Studio with Michael Card releasing next week. We'll start the hour with a music set with Jeff Taylor. Jeff has been on the road with Michael and has been a part of many classic Molin sessions. This time he'll share his love for hymns and the stories behind the music. And Michael will continue to teach from a recent Biblical Imagination Conference. Have your thinking stretched as we explore the topic, Words Have Meaning. Details online at michaelcard.com. back in the studio with Michael Card. I'm Wayne Shepard. And Michael, I've taught you everything I know about how to interview people. So we're going to turn you loose and talk with Gary Witherall coming up in this segment of the program. Actually, Gary was here before I arrived, so you went ahead and talked to That's Gary. That's right. And we did, we just discussed. I, I tried to pre- I pretended I was you, and I think it went all right. <laughs> you poor soul. Okay. Well, someone who's with us right now is a good friend. Uh, Don Wurtson is back in the studio with us. Don, welcome. Nice to be with you again, Wayne. I have to and say, Michael. the one-year stint in choir when I I was in uh, when I was a choir boy. My mom made me do one year, and every arrangement we did had Don Wurtz on oh, the I'm bottom. Sorry. No, no, no. But then, but, but then what happens is, and I started making records. I would go to Grand Rapids, and it was like you know, it's like meeting Elvis. I got to meet Don, Don, Don Wurtz, and, and and Elvis not, has left the building. Not only that, he he would take me to record. I don't know if you remember this. You you got you put me in your car. We drove to record stores, and we would just go through the piles. The and this is when they were still records. How old were you? I was twenty six. Oh, okay, baby. okay, so you're yeah. an adult. All right, and 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 he would, you know, I'm I'm I've got an armful of records, and, and you know, Don's like, okay, here, you need this, you need this, you need this, and then we went back to your house and we listened to him. I think you I should have listened more to those records. I think you've done more with them than I did. Well, you guys have a history then. Oh, and it was, I'll tell you, it it added a cubit to my stature. I'll tell you. Well, let me tell you something. There are so few musicians today that have a real knowledge of the scripture and mm-hmm. theology mm-hmm. like Michael does, mm-hmm. and I've always felt that what really informs his work is that knowledge of the scripture and Mm -hmm. theology because he has something to really say so we're affirming each other we're done done affirming each other that's your passion too isn't it done (laughs) really yeah yeah otherwise you don't have anything to say particularly as you get older and older you just don't have anything to say yeah Hmm. yeah you can say it some people can say it real well musically great musicians but you stop and read the lyrics and you go Hmm. What, what, what was this? <laughs> Just as a man. There's a yeah. lot of junk theology around today. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Michael, I think we can learn some things from Professor Wurtzen here today, don't you? Definitely. And and what we we've asked don't on, count on it. <laughs> but what we what we like you to do is we've had we've had a, a couple of fine art artists like Makoto Fujimura help uh, sort of open the door into the world of understanding art. And we couldn't think of anybody better than you, Don, than help us to understand how do we, those of us who haven't, uh, how do we enter into the world of understanding classical music as a believer and taking with us, you know, our, our sensibilities and our value system as believers? I mean, how do we engage with classical music? Well, you know, I uh, before I ever came to Moody, where I had some marvelous uh, experiences with great music, I studied with a terrific piano teacher who'd studied in Europe. And I remember when I first went to her as a little kid, I think I was 11 or 12 years old, Mm. 
she gave me the little um, preludes by Chopin, one in A and one in C minor. They all fit on one page. They were like two lines each. Hmm. And we went through those for week after week, and she taught me all about the inner voicings and the phrasing mm -hmm. and the pedaling and everything. And I was frustrated because, you know, I had this talent and I could play by ear and I, I was really into immediate gratification. Mm -hmm. And she, every week we'd go over those same pieces. And what mm. she was trying to teach me was the difference between music and notes on a page. Mm. Mm. And I, I feel it the same way in my Christian life. You know, the Christian life is more than theological propositions. It's having a passionate relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm. And music's that way, too. Music's more than just notes, black dots on, on a staff, on paper. Mm -hmm. Music's far more than that. Mm -hmm. Anyway, she started me off, and then I came to Moody. I was there in the early 60s. And I remember auditioning for the... Um, a messiah for the oratorio choir with Don Houston. He was head of the music department at Moody. I was a he's a dear friend of mine now. He's kind of the godfather of evangelical <laughs> church musicians. But back then I was scared to death of him and you had to audition for the uh, Moody Chorale. And I told him recently that I was afraid to audition. I mean, I've never been much of a singer. But uh you didn't have to audition for the Handel's Messiah for the big oratorio course, so I sang in that. What a glorious experience mm -hmm. that was. You said there were a thousand in each section? Well, actually, that, that's another friend of mine who just went uh -huh. to be with the Lord. Larry McGill was a Moody student, uh -huh. and he, he was used of the Lord to start six or maybe eight major churches from scratch in the New Jersey area. Marvelous man, and he mm -hmm. could sing and play piano, and great preacher, very articulate. And when he was a student at Moody, there was a man named Bittekoffer who, mm -hmm. who led a huge name. choir singing the Hallelujah Chorus. Mm. And Larry told me there were a thousand sopranos, a thousand altos, a thousand tenors, and a thousand basses. Wow. And he mm. said he was this little kid at Moody singing in the middle of that. And just like he said, he had goosebumps on the surface <laughs> of his skin and he had a lump in his throat and tears and chills going up and down his wow. spine. Wow. And he said he'd hear the glorious polyphony and the spiritual experience and he shall reign and king of kings oh. and lord of lords. And he, he, he said he just, I mean, I often think of him telling me that when I think about when we sing Worthy is the Lamb and, mm -hmm. in eternity, mm -hmm. you know, to, to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, literally joining the saints of the ages. But wow. he, Moody has had a great tradition in that. And then when I was there, I didn't have any money, of course. And so I, I'd go to the matinee performances of the Chicago Symphony mm. down at Orchestra Hall, and I'd get a student pass, and because it was afternoon, it was cheaper than, than an evening and the weekend. And I remember sitting in the second row hearing like some of the high French stuff, you know, like hearing Debussy and Ravel, like Ravel's La Valse with over 100 people and in the orchestra. And of course, the Chicago Symphony is one of the big five in the United States. It's a world-class orchestra. I, I hear you, Don, saying to us, <laughs> put yourself in the situation where you're going to hear great music. I mean, that's what you did. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this teacher that I referred to earlier just gave me a taste that went beyond even the old, the beautiful, exquisitely beautiful old English hymns. But then in my dad's Word of Life rallies, we'd sing the old choruses <laughs> yeah, from sure. the 40s. And so that was my musical palette. And then she exposed me to what real music, not to put any of that down, but what great music really is. Mm. 
you know, and 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 then you know after high school I went to Moody and then went on from there. To so other how schools. do you, how do you define it? What is great music? Well, I think uh, it's it's hard to define, but one way to look at it is what it's not. It's not jingle bells. Mm-hmm. Uh, pop music is is very accessible and it's built around a hook. It's it's it, it's ear catching stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with with great music. You've got to bring something to the party. Like, for example, if you don't know what a sonata is, like it has three parts, which I'll mention in a minute. If you don't know what a sonata is, then why would you want to hear? You need to know what it is before you listen to it. Mm. Like, like a sonata has a theme, and then it has a recapitulation, a development of the theme. And then a recapitulation of a theme. It's like a good sermon where you mm. have three points. You, you give people your proposition, your thesis, and then you develop it, and then you repeat it. Mm-hmm. And and uh, if mm. it's for a solo instrument uh, and three parts, and I'm simplifying a little bit, it's a piano sonata or a violin sonata. If it's for a, fo- a whole orchestra, a symphony is a sonata for orchestra. Mm. Oh, I didn't know mm. that. And so uh, w- what I'm saying is, Getting back to your original question, it's it's helpful to bring some background and some knowledge of what you're listening to to the listening experience, mm-hmm. because it's not like listening to jingles on the radio or the, or the latest top forty hits, and those have their place. I mean, just like reading um, comics and cartoons <laughs> in the paper have a place, but Shakespeare also has a place. Mm. But great music is immortal. It's enduring because it has depth to it. And that means that we have to bring something to the experience. Well, this has been a very short course in music mm. appreciation here mm. today. Has it too short, actually. Uh, Don, you can join us again next week. Uh, I'd love to. We'll, we'll continue this conversation. It'll be heard next week on the program. And, Michael, we can talk more about those these things then. And we'll go get more into the specifics of what do we listen to, what are our sources, and where do we start. So you can okay. you can school us in uh, opening the door to classical music next week. Don knows great music, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he can help us. Don Wurtson, thanks for being with us in the studio oh, thank today. Thank you. Nice to see you guys again. Michael, before we uh, hear your interview with Gary Witherall, we want to hear you sing. And this song is called Let All Things Now Living. Right here in the studio, here's Michael Card. Should be voicing 
rejoicing with glad adoration our songs let us raise till all things now living unite in thanksgiving to god the creator hosanna and praise Well, we're uh, we're breaking the rules today. Uh, we came in a day early to set up the studio, and Wayne uh, Shepherd isn't here. He's still up in Chicago, but uh, a good friend and a close brother, Gary Witherall, uh, came by. We we actually got to have some meal fellowship together and spend the afternoon together. And I wanted to take an opportunity to Gary have you uh, check in with us. I mean, there are a lot of listeners who are praying for you. You're on a lot of our hearts. A lot of support out there. Uh, and we need to know, where's the Lord taking you? How are you doing? Um, where's the road leading you? And it's good to see your old face again. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how, how has it been? It's uh, It's been a long journey. Actually, just um, not long ago, it was kind of eight months. And mm-hmm. uh, Bonnie, who was my wife, um, was killed in Lebanon. And uh, it's a long road uh to understanding like what is grief and and what what do you learn from it and where does god take you and why does god take you through all these you know a lot of questions you got a chance to go back to lebanon back to your apartment and kind of get some closure after that time i mean have you have you felt a release i I know you've been you've been busy on the road you've been preaching and and uh and trying to get people fired up for missions uh I've, i've heard you speak a wonderful message on counting the cost um, I mean, I've, are you getting your legs under you, or you know, where is that? Where's that going now? I'm, you know, I, I know personally how things are going. I think you're in a good place, but uh, I mean, how's it going on the road? Uh, that's that's not hard at all. Um, I I tend to, I mean, I'm spending a lot of time and thought thinking through what is it really mean? What does it really mean to be a Christian mm-hmm. in my generation? What does it really mean to be a Christian? Uh, what am I really willing to lay down? And um, what is the bottom line in things? You know, yeah. what are you going to fight for in life? You know, what are you going to invest your life in? Uh, and I see uh, uh, people respond a lot to what I say. Mm-hmm. It's because deep down, I think most believers are either, either discouraged or they have failed or um, have seen great pain in their life. You know, mm-hmm. like cancer or some kind of sickness, or uh, the vision that they caught in their college years have seemed faded. And the fact is that God uses all generations, um, and he can use any single person. So the bottom line is, you know, what am I doing for Jesus today? Mm -hmm. And do you sense the the fact that people have the desire to be called there? I mean, do you almost sense a relief in people to hear the call, to to give it all up? To, to to let go of everything to follow Jesus. I think people are ready to hear that call, but in, unfortunately, American Christianity, we just don't get the call. We don't hear that word from the pulpit enough. Well, um, there's a certain word. You know, somebody came up to me one time and they said um, they don't hear much about death. Yeah. Um, and often, you know, uh, pop culture is tuned to like you know the teenage life. Yeah. And everything's happy and shiny. Um, and really, many of us often are just plain old discouraged or yeah. lonely 
or have failed. And there's a sense of kind of, I am not useful for the kingdom. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's like the biggest lie, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, worship is mediocre, prayer is mediocre, and the Christian life is somehow kind of numb or tame. Mm -hmm. But in fact, I think that God... um, wants us to be on the very edge of what he wants in our lives. That's what Paul said, you know, take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. So what is your purpose in life? And if I was to say, boy, you might be killed in the next week or in the next year, um, how differently would you be looking at life right now? And what would you be investing it in? Mm. So where is God calling you? Where are you going from here? I know you're you're thinking about uh, putting your experiences in a book. How's that going? Uh, I'm currently, uh, yes, I'm writing a book, and I don't want to write a book for book's sake. No. Because um, there's plenty of them out there. But I really um, want to be a challenge um, in really what it means to lay down your life. And actually, I would consider myself, if we went into any depth of my life, I could tell you very easily about my failings, my struggle to walk the Christian walk. Mm-hmm. And. Um, So I don't come here as some super saint, but I come as like a failing, weak Christian Mm. who is in love with Jesus and knows the message. Mm. Uh, You know, in our generation, we have um, a lot of fanatic groups, various kinds of groups around the world. There's a lot of extremism, a lot of war, a lot of pain, poverty, refugees, prostitution, um, pedophilia. Mm. Uh, For example, Phnom Penh is now declared the capital of pedophilia in the world. Wow. you know, the AIDS crisis, so many issues are going on. And I think, um, I wonder if if the church really is taking a good look at um, at the, the horror of what's happening in the rest of the world. So um, right now, I believe the Lord is using my testimony to draw people to the mission field. And certainly these are the kind of issues I want to be looking mm. at. So uh, we can pray for you uh, in the writing of this book. In the, mm-hmm. the coming together of the book, and we can pray for you as you continue to go out on the road and uh, and preach. Right, exactly. And and also, you know, if you if someone wants to pray for me, pray that I will be very close to the Lord. And this this is all about Jesus, mm-hmm. for Jesus. Uh, I'm his, his instrument, and I know that's mm-hmm. exactly how you feel about your ministry. Mm-hmm. But really, my focus, I want to be on Christ and any glory it goes to the Lord directly. Yeah. So, And I don't want to be a super spiritual talk in here. But yeah. when you're thrust in this light and, you know, the last few years I've been, you know, in the Middle East doing my thing, uh, sharing with people to be put into this new arena of be speaking around the country and stuff. Um, you know, it really is a very important thing that everything goes to Christ. And it really... That's the way I want to live my life. Yeah, and as you say that, that occurs to me. That would be a good thing for us to pray as well. That as you make the transition from being on the mission field uh, in in Sidon to speaking in, in to American audiences, to American Christians, but not just American Christians. You're going elsewhere. You go to England, don't you? You're, you're, you're going, going to England and Europe and yeah. uh, different countries. So uh, the other thing is um, pray for uh, Lebanon. Um, just recently, last uh, week, actually, one of our brothers um, 
of a large church in Lebanon just died mm. and uh, it's a big loss uh, in regards to teaching in Bible schools and him taking over a significant ministry in Lebanon. Mm. Uh, people in, in Lebanon are very discouraged, believers, they are very discouraged. Uh, mm. Things are very hard. Um, another believer was um, blown up in a, in a bomb just um, a couple of months ago yeah. up in Tripoli too. So, um, they are counting the cost. They are counting the cost. So imagine going to their prayer meetings, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're praying, saying, Lord, you know, please move, please work, please help us. Uh, so there's kind of perhaps like a, a, a real level of desperation mm. in that church. So if you remember, people remember, please let's pray uh, for the Church of Christ in some of these suffering countries of the world. Okay, let me pray for you, and then you pray uh, for Lebanon. You want to do that? That sounds great. Lord Jesus, I thank you for my brother. Thank you for uh, his openness to me, uh, that we could walk together and become friends and, and, and share your word and share meal fellowship, share our friends uh, and share our lives. Uh, I thank you for my brother Gary. I thank you for the work that you're doing in his life, for the amazing strength that you've given him, for the shape of the brokenness uh, that's that's so redemptive and and uh, and heals other people by by the hearing of it. I pray for him, Lord, as as he looks at writing a book on his experience and on uh, what what happened to him and to his wife in Lebanon. Pray you be with him, Lord. Uh, give him the words. Uh, put him uh, in in the right sort of connections, uh, the right sort of associations with the right publishers, the right editors, all the technical things that need to come together. Lord, I pray that you'd be with this man. And as he goes out into the world uh, to, to preach your word, pray that you would help him to... Uh, be clear-minded. I pray that you would uh, help him to teach the full message, uh, to not detract when he senses pressure to water down the message, as we often do here in America. I pray that you would just keep him on fire for you, Lord Jesus. Let him find rest. Let him find find good friends that can he can walk with. And uh, just thank you for my brother Gary. I pray that you'd bless him. Father, we just uh, come before you and just thank you for Uh, redeeming our lives and giving us purpose and peace. And we do want to uh, just take a few moments to remember our brothers and sisters um, in some of the more uh, suffering countries. I think tonight of uh, Lebanon, just the war-torn cities and villages and um, really the deep rooted pain that's going to just take generations to heal. Father, we just uh, pray for the believers there. Lord, I pray that you would give them uh, encouragement and strength to keep going on. Lord, I pray for uh, love. And Lord, that um, if we were to lay our lives down, Lord, it would be done in love. And that we would uh, communicate the great message of the gospel of Jesus um, through a broken heart and... um, through love so we do pray for them we pray for the pastors lord that you'd uh, keep them going i know some of them are weary we pray for the uh for the workers there lord as they continue to uh share your word and message lord pray father that uh they would go in a humble spirit and uh and that you would go with them we just uh thank you for the power and privilege um of coming to you in prayer and believing lord jesus that your kingdom will come Um, And this is all to your glory. It's all for you. And Lord, that we don't just uh, get together um, for clubs, but we actually come 
to praise your name. We come to serve you and to uh, enjoy being in your presence. So, Lord Jesus, we do pray for Lebanon. Lord Jesus, in our time, that you would move and do some great work. Mm. In your name. had a challenging time in prayer and in the Word today here in the studio with Michael Card. If you've been listening for a while, then you know that our goal for this hour each week is to help you understand the truth of God's Word and help you live it out as a mature follower of Jesus. We hope you'll take a moment right now and let us know how God is making this a reality for you. Our email address is in the studio at michaelcard.com. Pass along your comments, Bible questions, and prayer requests. And when you do, let us know that you are standing with us in prayer. Many times we end a conversation with a guest in prayer, and that's not done just out of habit. We need to look to God for wisdom and seek His help in all we do, including this radio outreach. Again, you can get in touch with us at inthestudio at michaelcard.com. Now, to stay connected with all that's going on with the broadcast and Michael's ministry, come to our website. We're easily found at michaelcard.com. And when you stop by, you'll be able to find out how to access the resources for those who become members of a feature we call The Community. Learn about our publication called The Community Magazine, Michael's monthly e-journal, From the Study, and the upcoming community retreat in January 2004. You'll find out about these as well as the new book and CD on the life of Peter titled A Fragile Stone. And you can listen to this complete program again at our audio archive, or you can find out how to order a CD copy or transcript of this or any in the studio session. There's so much more just a few clicks away at michaelcard.com. Well, next week there's more great music and word-centered conversation. We hope to see you then. Our producer is Joe Carlson. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks for being with us in the studio with Michael Card. In the Studio with Michael Card is a production of Community Broadcasting and the Moody Broadcasting Network.